Brace yourself, Robin. You're about to listen to the Masters of the Obvious. This dynamic duo will give you the sudden and strangest feeling that you are about to be utterly and madly carried away. But beware, they are criminals. They are filthy outlaws and indeed are not masters in the least. I have rarely met two girls with such potent arguments, and yet are inept fools. But if you like interviews, zany antics, and bad puns, then stay tuned. Same bat time, same bat channel. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Masters of the Obvious. I'm Kirsten Bozio. And I'm Cynthia Rose. On today's episode, we have best-selling author Chelsea Kane on. She's written novels like Heartsick and comics like Maneaters, Mockingbird, and Spy Island. And Kirsten and I discuss nerd news. But first, we'd like to remind you to go to mastersoftheobvious.com. We have merch for sale. Wow. When did that happen? I was asleep. I woke up one day and we had merch for sale. It's amazing. And if you'd like to support this pod and take advantage of free shipping in the U.S., well, we really appreciate you. And hey, you could never be ice cream because you're so hot and also human. What a good reminder. Aww. Check out our shop and show your support at mastersoftheobvious.com. What have you been up to, Kirsten? Oh, goodness. What haven't I been up to? Um, Just your old tricks again. I'm up to my old... Back on my bullshit. Um, I hired some new assistants. Gosh, how many do you have now? They have like an army. There's like four, but two regulars. Um, I did a Clueless cosplay for the Hip Dot Clueless makeup collab. That was so fun. Um, And then we are gearing up for Riot's big book release. Riot's my eldest, who's 12, wrote a book. And their book is coming out next month. Yes, I have bought my copy. I'm going to pre-order. I'm excited. I only did that with friends, but you'll be able to pre-order soon to like, open to the public. I just want people to be and jealous. And a book launch That party. we're actually friends. <laughs> it's not just a podcast Not outside thing. this. No, yeah. not at all. They should never know about that. Um, and yeah, I've been working on a, some new clothing collections and... I don't know. I'm in your house right now. Yeah. So this is the second time we've recorded in person. And before we were on opposite ends of a very big table. Now we're like right in each other's laps. And we were at a trailer park. That should be noted. Right. Now we're in my closet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty special. I love being stuck in a small closet with a pretty girl. <laughs> wow. Seven minutes of actually. This your new place be. is so cute. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's um small. I don't think it's small. I'm just it was someone who lives in who lives in Los Angeles for the last decade. Nothing seems small. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like nothing should be small to me. I'm 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 only small. <laughs> You're as only the British per- say, a wee person yourself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm feeling like I don't have a lot of space here. But trying to like Marie Kondo it and like Marie Kondo your condo. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call the condo Marie. <laughs> 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 Welcome to Marie. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, yeah. So it's been interesting. Yeah, I've been moving in and decorating and renovations oh, too. Wow, God, renovations like ripped out your kitchen and your bathrooms. Yes, and still don't have a sink in one of the bathrooms. Yeah, who needs a sink? Who washes their hands? These I mean. Days? Not my son, so why does he even need one? CDC is a sham. We should put another closet in there. Yeah. Yeah. What am I doing? He needs hands, period. Right? (laughs) So, yeah. So I've been doing that. And then I also, I've watched a few things, but I've just been so busy. Like, oh, I'm going to Maui. Oh, yeah. That's coming up really soon. I might tag along for a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Watch out, Maui. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, watch out the toilets of Maui. <laughs> I'm going to destroy those. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'll be on Maui for a week. Pretty excited. A little nervous. It's been, what, two months since you've been there? Like three, Three probably. months almost. Yeah. Wow. It's Wild. been crazy. Anyway, I can't. Yeah, that's I, it. Oh, I've been watching. Um, so I've been rewatching Star Trek Discovery to get ready for Blue being on the show. So excited. But I also started Lower Decks, which is the cartoon. Okay, I don't even know and about that. it's supposed that. to be satirical Star Trek, and it's with CBS. But I like to think it's canon, because it's absolutely delightful. You would love it. It's very Futurama. Okay. Um, and um, what's his nuts from The Boys? The main guy. Which who one? plays the main character in The Boys? Which main character? The Huey. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, what's it? Meg's son. Yeah. He's he, he voices the main character. Cute. He's so it. cute. I just saw this like little meme of him in various stages of having masks Quaid. on. Quaid. Yes. What's his first name though? It's not Dennis. It's not Dennis. <laughs> Henry. Maybe. Mortimer. Jack Quaid. Yes. We did it, guys. We I swear to God, we have every reason to have a nerd podcast. <laughs> um so I've been I watched all three episodes of The Bad Batch. Oh, yeah. There's already been three? There's already been three. How? They don't do it weekly? They do every Friday. It's been that long since May the 4th? Sure. (laughs) All right. I believe you. And uh, it's good. It's not what I was expecting. Is it the similar animation to, like, Bone Wars and Rebels and all that? It's different. Oh. It's very textured. Mmm. It's like a painting. Okay. Um... I enjoy it. One of the main characters is a little girl, and I just don't care about her. I don't care for... <laughs> this sounds so bad. I love kids, <clears throat> or I wouldn't keep having them. Um, but I don't care for like kids in a lot of media. Well, it's interesting Like why it's like a war, mm-hmm. fighty, punchy, blowy up. And How the- old is the kid? Oh... You would think I would have a grasp on that having a kid of my own, but somewhere between seven and eleven, I would say. Okay. Um, and then in that neighborhood. All right. And speaking of seven eleven, what's your favorite trashy gas station food? Oh, I love all the all the gas station food. Everything Hawaii on the little amazing. hot rollers. They have like the spam musubis from seven eleven. Oh well, Hawaiian. Food from Hawaii gas stations, stations are, is probably legit. a whole other, yeah. It's legit. I've had gas station sushi. That was a bad idea. I've had gas station sushi on Oahu. But Hawaii. And it was great. That's different. I've never had, oh, this is going to sound terrible. I've never had gas station food in the U.S., like continental U.S. Oh, I've had it all. <laughs> Do you know what I love, though, hmm. is the the really terrible nachos, the nacho cheese that you pump out. Oh, like that, like toxic. Where it's like neon. Like the color of your shirt. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's my favorite. 
delightful. That's why I like bowling alleys. I would eat at a bowling alley until I died. God, I don't remember the last. I, mean, I think I was. If in you high don't shit your pants at the bowling alley. You didn't eat enough. Have you lived? Have you lived? I question you. Maybe you are ice cream. So yeah. So that's. I do recommend watching it. I just all Fennec has is on in it, right? Not yet. Not yet. I'll watch anything Star Wars. Yeah. Bar none. I've seen it all and I will watch it for the Star Wars. What I am very excited for and I hope lives up to my expectations. Nothing ever fucking does. Why do I set myself up like that? Because you're a bitch. I'm a bitch. (laughs) Um, Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. Is the showrunner for the five episode series. That's I heard about Masters Masters of of the Universe. universe. I heard about that happening, but I didn't realize. Revelation. I didn't realize it was Kevin Smith, and that just makes me excited. Oh, my God. The cast is so fucking incredible. Mark Hamill as Skeletor. Perfect. Lena Headey as Evil Lynn. Chris Wood as Prince Adam He-Man. Sarah Michelle Gellar as Tila. Come on. Do you know that my stepsister is named after... That character. Uh, I do know that, and I love it so much. <laughs> love it so much. Uh, Henry Rollins is Triclops. Oh, well, you love that. Alicia Silverstone is Queen Marlena, and Jason Mewes is Stinkor. It's so good. And who does um, Danzig play? Um, just <laughs> a sweet song in my heart. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, just getting punched out in my heart. Ugh. <laughs> um... Who's worse, him or Morrissey? Don't do that. <laughs> do you know what's funny is that I have two tattoos that have quotes from songs. One's a Danzig song. One's a Smith song. Oh, my God, you would. Do you know who's... I don't think that Robert Smith is problematic, right? No. He's he, a sweet baby. He's like a melted candle the older he gets. Oh, and him, him and his wife are just so lovely together. Like, Do you know that my, my friend is related to... L- at Lowell, I think I pronounced it Lowell Tolhurst, who's like, who is credited for a lot of the songs he's in the band during Disintegration. Oh, greatest album of all time. I know. Oof. Wow. And it was the same year I was born. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's Berlin, why it's so sad. The Berlin Wall fell the year. It's a big year. I like to think that I was the catalyst for all that. I think it's, I think it's plausible. Ding dong. <laughs> I keep singing that press song by Cardi B. Pop up. Guess who, bitch? Yeah, you do. And you keep popping up from behind my keep, couch. And I don't, and it's never in tune either. Like a classic white lady. There's no beat at all. Yeah. Out of sync. Out of sync. Call me Lance Ass because I'm out of sync. <laughs> Wait. Okay. Pause. Stop. You know what I haven't talked about on the show? I don't think. Justin Timberlake. No. I, yeah, because you wouldn't let me that one time, but I did a little bit. I watched the show The Circle. Oh, God, I heard about that. Have you seen the show? Mm -hmm. It's so weird. And so you can you can be on it and be yourself. Yeah. Or you can be a catfish. And somebody on the second season catfished as Lance Bass. Like, did he look like him? No, he used pictures of Lance Bass. Oh. Because you're going on and you're never... Like inter- Tinder. You're but- basically just on there with, it's like a social media app. You tell, that's the only way that you interact with people. But isn't it set up kind of big brothery where they live in? Yes. They all have their own apartment, but then you can see how they're interacting with each other, but they're only interacting with each other on this app. But they can't see each other. Exactly. Weird. So the person that was playing Lance Bass was Lance Bass's personal assistant. So they knew everything about Lance. Yeah. But they were, they're my age. Well, so is Lance Bass, apparently. But, um... And they're like an old 
white lady. Not that Lance Bass isn't an old white man. I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm, I mean, what I'm getting to here. Um, but all of her answers sounded like a mom giving them. People are like, this is not Lance Bass. Yeah. Um, My friend sang at his wedding. Oh. Uh, she lives in Palm Springs now. Who Who's cool that doesn't? Mm, John Barrowman. <laughs> John Barrowman has some issues from Doctor Who. Uh, um, do you want to talk about Doctor Who? Problematic white gay. I mean, there's not much to say, um, but there is some Doctor Who news. Yeah, Noel Clark, best known to audiences as Mickey Smith in <sighs> Doctor Who. Yeah, um, and he appeared on the show from 2005 to 2010. He said 20 women come forward to accuse him of sexual misconduct. That's rough. 20. He had quite the, like, develop character development, too. What a bummer. Ugh. He's accused of taking secret videos of actresses during nude auditions, <sighs> sharing sexually explicit photos and videos with his coworkers, just aggressively pursuing sexual relationships with people and exploiting them on set and then bullying them into silence when they reject his advances. What a guy. He's a fun dude. Gross. Um, what are all these sci-fi actors? I mean, we hear the same thing about Ambar. What's going on? From Expanse. I'm not a fan. It sucks. I can't tell if it's the culture, the sci-fi culture, or it just like attracts the wrong people or how, like, but I think it's just everywhere. I think it's just widespread and everything. There's just shitty people everywhere. Right. And I think that now women feel like they're being heard. So they're not just keeping it to themselves. And these mm. guys are so used to women just keeping it to themselves that they just keep to 20 women. 20 like women. you, there's no way he thought that he wasn't going to get away with it. You know, we got a Venom trailer. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. Let there be carnage. It feels more Deadpool-y, right? I don't know. It feels disjointed. Like it almost feels like. I don't know. Someone pointed out that Tom Hardy has Princess Peach lips. What? Just like that very. I'm very obsessed. Round, I would watch anything cute. with Tom Hardy. I'm obsessed. After seeing, didn't he have issues with Charlie's Theron though on Mad Max on the Mad Max set? I'm not sure, but I think they're just in the desert for forever. Yeah, I don't know. I'll look into that. But because I'm a I'm I'm a huge Tom Hardy fan. After seeing uh, Bronson. Oh, oh, I didn't see that. Shut the fuck up. What is Bronson? <gasps> like the cigarettes? The cheap cigarettes? That's what you think of? You don't think of Charles Bronson? I think of Charles Bronson. Did he play Charles Bronson? No, ma'am. Oh, fuck. Okay, well, we'll watch that later. Girl. Okay. Girl. Okay. Okay, we will. All right. What else? Anyway, Let There Be Carnage kind of it feels like it goes between like an odd couple meets monster movie, like kind Who's of. Who's playing a- Carnage? Woody. Okay. Harrelson. And uh, give me, you know, give me Woody Harrelson as a maniac any day. Like, I'm into it. Yeah. You know who would have been good if he was a little bit younger as Willem Dafoe? Mm. As Carnage. I like, he's like a straight up psycho in the comics. I loved Carnage. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, oh yeah, and Andy Serkis is directing directing it. it. Can we, okay. First of all, okay, so when he played golem amazing right Mm -hmm. and i thought it was so funny how buff he got for black panther i was very confused that that was still him yeah what a and now he's directing he's just a uh he's a bit of a not he's a bit of a not a fixer-upper he's not a fixer-upper 
We got a first look at House of Dragon. Yeah. HBO <laughs> series, which is a prequel to Game of Thrones and Dude. takes place about 300 years prior. Right. And they're focusing on the Targaryens and they have Matt Smith. Matt Smith should never have light hair. <laughs> I We were just talking about this. He's kind of like a, an actor similar to like Benedict Cumberbatch, where it's just like, depending on how he's angled, he's hot or not. Just so much like it's a continuation of his forehead to have <laughs> such light hair. I don't know. Good looking guy. I, uh, you know, you know, like Henry Cavill and the Witcher basically looks like a Targaryen. Yeah. Why didn't they just pull him in? They could probably couldn't afford him. <sighs> HBO. Mm, yeah, maybe they could. I mean, Pat, Matt Smith probably costs a pretty penny, too. Yeah, but not Superman money. Not Superman money. Henry Cavill is a sweet, sweet baby, though. He is. I want to watch him build PCs all day long. I adore him, but I think this speaks <sighs> to how much I don't like the Superman character because I just fucking hate him as Superman. I don't like Superman, but he does fine. I, you know what's so funny is that like, apparently it was like a, a, a holiday or whatever celebrating superheroes, mm. and he attacked everyone from like Marvel and DC, and the only person who commented on it was Jason Momoa. And that's Aww. sweet. I feel like. Henry Cavill deserves better than DC. I feel like he would have gotten along so well in the MCU. Right? How cute would he be? Because, like, it's such a family environment. They all get along so well. It might just be PR, but it seems like they genuinely enjoy each other. I think Henry Cavill needs that kind of support. Because it doesn't. It's, DC is so disjointed. Even, like, the cast members and the directors don't seem to be fans of each other. It's rough. It's really rough. You don't really see any... Com- the only camaraderie I really saw was between Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig. No, I saw it between um, uh, Momoa and Cavill. Well, yeah, but like, but but not the same. And maybe it's marketing, but not the same that I've seen from the MCU. No, and I think that the MCU in general is a little bit more lighthearted. So they're 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 the the actors that they're getting are a little bit more fun and right, and they are getting a certain caliber of actor too. Good ones, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, um, speaking of. The MCU. What, ben Affleck's not a great actor. Ugh. Ben Affleck's dating J Lo again. I kind of love that. Do you? I feel like they're both terrible people and they deserve Can each other. Can we get a Jersey Girl too? Can we get a Geely? No, we can't because she, she died in Jersey Girl. Did G- she? Geely too. Oh no! It's turkey time. Oh god. <laughs> um, I don't actually think they're terrible. I just think that they're like off. And they deserved each other. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I do love that Kevin Smith came up with the name Benefer. Yeah, it's terrible. On set of Jersey Girl. Terrible, I love it. How do you feel about the movie Jersey Girl? It's been a long time. And that's you know all you'll say about You know what's funny is that, that I'm kind of a Ben Affleck apologist. No. A little bit. Get out of my closet. I do like Jennifer Gardner more. I fucking love I loved her. Alias. Um, 13 Going on 30. 13 Going on 30 is amazing. Forever. Better than big. I'll say it. Way and not better rapey. than big. I have my Jennifer Gardner, Judy Greer t-shirt because mm. I love them so fucking much. Yeah. No, I don't think Ben's a good person. His, his brother certainly isn't. <sighs> um, But I don't know why. It just gives me great joy that they're back together. It just makes sense. You're just nostalgic for an, uh, an easier time. Yeah. A time when stuff like that actually mattered. When people cared. <laughs> Before his... um. Ben Affleck's wait, Batman ba- back, Ben bat, Affleck's bat, 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 bat big bat, back tat. <laughs> Please Google his back tattoo. It's not expected. Um, so we are getting uh, okay. So actress Hannah John Cammon 
who played Ghost in Ant-Man and Wasp. Yeah. Fucking cast as Red Sonia in the new Red Sonia movie. And That's I'm, so fun. Whew, I love that. So excited about that. Um, originally played by Brigitte Nielsen in 1985. That was weird casting. Whatever. It's, it's, it's iconic. So good. So good. And then, did you ever watch The Real Life? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> that's all I, that's, uh, that has replaced any other memories I have of her. Was, was Tony Katane on Surreal Life or was she yeah. on Celebrity Rehab? Ooh, that's a good question. I can't remember. Maybe Rehab. It seems more her upper alley. Oof. And she's gone now. Yeah. So we do have two in memoriams. Yeah. We have Olympia Dukakis who just died. Mm. I will always remember her from Steel Magnolias. Always. And then. Tony fucking Katane died. What an icon. Fucking 1980s rock angel. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope she's dancing on we a jaguar do, wherever You she have is. to start feeling a little bit old when... Me in particular? Every, well, you more than me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bitch. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so we got a bunch of teaser trailers for Stranger Things season four, I think yeah, it is. Very ominous. Very weird. And then like the last one kind of tied them all together and made them real scary yeah, we're, we're getting more 11 yeah uh, backstory origin stuff yes her and papa oh god papa yeah so he, why am i kind of attracted to him because you like it when people call you big papa yep <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah so we have flashbacks of l with the other kids at the hawkins lab i don't know the cast is saying it's the darkest season yet so they're all dark i, I can't imagine how much darker it's gonna get yikes yikes Oh, I went to the drive-in experience. Right. Stranger Things drive-in yes, experience. Yes, I saw some video you took. It was super duper cute. I took my eldest uh, for the birthday. And um, and I realized just how bad my auditory processing and, and like taking directions is because they kept telling me where to go. And I'm just like, huh? What? <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. But the, the, the actors look a lot like the real actors and it helps that they're wearing masks and they yeah Yeah. and they interact with the cars and their stomach organs and oh my god the ass on billy was very screen accurate it was very ooh. they it was really fun because they like you you pull in and you're waiting and there's like jazzercise and all kinds of cute stuff like at the star court mall and then they basically outfitted an entire parking garage like a several multi-layer parking Mm. garage and each layer had something okay it was pretty cool. That sounds great. Equally great. Maybe more great. We're getting an Ultraman movie for Netflix. Yeah. The new movie will be directed by Shannon Tyndall. She was an animator, and I'm assuming her gender, because Shannon can be a man's name. And they. Shannon can be a, anybody's name. So they, what did they direct? An animator who previously worked on Coraline and Kubo and the Two Strings. And that animation studio is gone now, just recently. But it is cool to see another animated, yeah, with the same director. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ultraman, roughly. But for those of us who grew up in Hawaii, we got all those amazing Japanese live action shows like Kaida, Common Rider, and Ultraman. I've heard so much about Common Rider from you guys. Oh, and Kaida. So, um, but this will be CGI animation and not live action. Okay, and not. Like stop motion animation. I have no idea. Like what I read was CGI, which to me could be a lot of things. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I'm not smart. Help me. I'm poor and not smart. (laughs) smart. (laughs) Neither of us went to college. (laughs) It's true. But yet, and yet we, we, but people should listen to us. Yeah. A lot to say. Well, I mean, 
I have a microphone. You will listen to me. <laughs> uh, the Go-Go's are being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That is about time. This is this is about the time I'm feeling old. Tony Katane is dead. Go-Go's are fucking getting inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, fun fact, Belinda Carlisle's first music gig was as a drummer for the Germs in 1977. I love that. She went by the name Dottie Danger. Sexy. So good. And then, soon after leaving the Germs, she co-founded the Go-Go's. Do you know what the original name of the Go-Go's was? You're going to tell me. It's the fucking Misfits. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Yes. Wait. (laughs) Oh, my God. They probably deserve it more than that. Um, fuck yes. Especially with the whole gem thing getting thrown into yeah. there. Anyway, I... <gasps> Do you know who I'm friends with now? One of the people that help put on GemCon every year. I love that there's a GemCon. I was we not aware go. of it. We should go. It's virtual this year, I think. Anyway, I'm obsessed with the Go-Go's. Always have been obsessed with the Go-Go's. I'm obsessed with Belinda Carlisle's solo career. I love it all. I love the name Belinda. What a weird name. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm... I'm oh, speaking of... Surreal life. Wasn't Jane, Jane from the Go-Go's, was she on it? No. Yes. I don't remember that. Surreal life. Yeah. You went down a rabbit hole. Yeah, right? There was just, like, just kept going weirder and weirder and weirder. Kirsten. What's up? Have you seen the pictures of Sebastian Stan and Lily James from the Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson? Have I ever? Series. I thought it was a movie, but it's a series. It's a series. And, um, well, you know I'm a big Sebastian Stan. Ah! I keep having dreams about him. It's hard not to. So, and he's so funny. He has big um, Nick energy from um, New Girl. Mm. Like his real, like in real life. Yeah, he needs to stop He's very it. chaotic. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, uh, it's so spot on. I thought... It, well, I knew that it was Sebastian Stan, but I did. I could not tell that that Pict- wasn't Pamela Anderson. Yeah, I couldn't ever picture Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee, but he pulls it off. He must have lost some weight for it. Big dick energy, that's why. You know who else does Tom Hiddleston? Because they had it. Remember, they had to CGI out his crotch. Oh, right. Right. Lily James, though. Holy shit. Ah. But, I wow. mean, to be fair, in the 90s, there was a very specific Pamela Anderson look done by her makeup artist that is so specific to her. And if you put that makeup on a bland white woman, chances are... Do you are, think it, I could be Pam Anderson? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I just need wait, to shave your eyebrows Oh, wait, off. you can be Pam Anderson and I can be Tommy Ely for one of our live streams. <laughs> can I look like a bland white woman? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. No so nice. problem. So You're nice. just a good glass of milk. So fucking nice. <laughs> Speaking of bland white people, did you catch Elon Musk on SNL? I avoided it. Fucking A. Me too. Good for you. We're still friends. Let's move on. <laughs> Elon Musk, we talk about that. Masters of the Obvious is sponsored by FierceUnicorns.com. Woo! With a name you can trust, FierceUnicorns.com is a place where you can buy comfortable face masks that are curated, thoughtfully designed, and delicious. If you are a goat. FierceUnicorns.com sells fabulous apocalypse gear like stickers, handmade face masks, and print-on-demand apparel like a shirt that looks like a LaCroix, but says LeCunt instead. That's for me. You know, wholesome rags. Every Friday is Fierce Friday, where the queers... Hey, you can't say that. Only I can say that. So say it. Queers. 
years. in charge post a new design or two, and it's been a fun, necessary project for them ever since the pandemic targeted them specifically and took their income and punched it in the butthole. Right in the butthole. Use code OBVIOUS at checkout to get yourself a slick 15% off and help us squeeze more money per episode out of the male gaze. G-A-Y-S. Pun intended. Today we have on the podcast, Chelsea Kane. She's a New York Times bestselling author of works like Heartsick, Marvel's Mockingbird, and Images and Maneaters. Thank you for coming on, Chelsea. Thank you for having me. We're super stoked. We can't yeah. believe you said yes. We're super. <laughs> no, I'm a super fan. I'm even wearing my ask me about ask me about my feminist agenda t-shirt that I, I made. I <laughs> she made it. Wait, tell her the story behind it. So uh, a while back, I was living in Hawaii and I was a part of a uh, nerd podcast and I was it was all guys and me. And the host has a very conservative point of view and he has opinions about, um, say, Mockingbird and say, uh, yeah, you know, opinions. I'm not familiar with these opinions. Right. You, what opinions you would have never have. heard about. Right. Uh, so uh-huh. I made the shirt to wear while recording the podcast. It was very effective. It is excellent. And it's the right color. Perfect. <laughs> OK, let's start from the top. Now you know that since you're a super fan, um, just a super simple question, but I feel like <laughs> yes, it's a super simple question, but I feel like there's always different answers to this. How did you get into writing and into comics specifically? Okay. Those are like two, two different, different questions, <laughs> questions and two different answers. Um, so like I've always been a storyteller you know, develop stories as a kid to self-soothe, to uh, get to sleep at night. Mm. Oh, wow. Tell myself stories in my head. Um, And they would grow and grow and grow. Like I have stories that I have been growing for like 30 years. Same stories. Wow. uh, That I just like go to in my head. Um, Some people call them daydreams. (laughs) Some people call them hallucinations. I don't know. Well, you're a writer, so it's productive to make exactly. dream, world building. I found, I found building. a way to monetize it. Yeah. Um, but, like, I always loved um, stories. And even as a, as a little kid, like, when I was first, um, like, offered the opportunity as a five-year-old to learn how to spell a word. And I know that's late for a lot of kids, but I was a hippie kid. I grew up on a hippie commune. So I was like, wait, spell a word? What is this? <laughs> and... Um, the, the teacher at my uh, clothing optional uh, kindergarten offered us like the opportunity. She was like, I will teach you to spell any word you want. All of you, right? Any word you want in the world, I will teach you how to spell it. And all of the kids were like, well, I would like to learn how to spell my name, like every single one of them. And I, and I said, I would like to learn how to spell flower. <laughs> Not thinking ahead, even then. <laughs> but I learned how to spell the word flower. And while everybody else was writing Keith and Sarah <laughs> over and over again, I wrote flower over and over again. And I remember like I had this stack of the word flower and I stapled it together and I made a book. <laughs> and, you know, after that, uh, I've always had this <laughs> desire to get the stories out of my head. 
if that makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. it's so that's important real estate. You got to move them out once in a while. In a lot of different ways, right? Mm-hmm. And comics are one of them. And um, novels are one of them. I've written um, like lots of different, you know, books. Um, I like to draw, like all of that stuff is just getting stories out of my head. And uh, so I published my first book um, when I was 24. I was 22 when I wrote it. And it was a memoir. Nice. Oh, wow. I know, right? <laughs> About my life so far. <laughs> I'm doing that at 32. So I feel yeah. you. And it's a little bit more legitimate. Um, and it, like it got, it got published. And that was kind of the beginning of my, um, my life as like a yeah, published writer. And after that, like I still had my, my next job after publishing that book was at a movie theater serving popcorn. <laughs> Nice. So in terms of like life, it wasn't a life-changing event necessarily. And yet it was. And I, you know, I just kind of kept writing after that. And I um, spent my twenties, you know, writing columns for alt weeklies and, uh, and then for the Oregonian and then a series of illustrated humor books and, you know, various kind of like parodies. I was trying to like ease myself into writing a novel, which is hard. It turns out, and I thought that um, writing like a parody would be useful because then you kind of start with like a scaffolding. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a book called Confessions of a Teen Sleuth that was about Nancy Drew as an old woman looking back on her life, setting the record straight. Um, I love that. Yeah, it was kind of a novel, and yeah, kind of not. And then <laughs> it did really that, well too. It did pretty well, but like like librarians love that book. <laughs> That was your target audience. Yes, yes. (laughs) And then after that, um, I started writing my first thriller. Uh, And that's what kind of like changed my world was like my thriller writing. And that's uh, even though like within a very small segment of the population, I might be mostly known as a comic book writer. Mm -hmm. Um, That is not how I see myself or I think how most people see me, which is interesting. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, you obviously uh, got a lot of buzz surrounding your comic book work, but uh, I was amazed to see how many, how well accoladed, is that a word? You were um, for your novels and, and that work too, which I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't read, but now I'm going to. <laughs> I have to. And I have to read that memoir. Is it still available somewhere? It's probably out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll do my in. I'll do my um, grown-up Nancy Drewing and find it. <laughs> and so, so how did you stumble into comic book writing then, or when was that? It was right before, like Mockingbird was my first comic. So, oh, okay. Thrown into the deep end. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I had done uh, uh, mostly. It was just through friends. Like I live in Portland, Oregon, and it is a small town in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and the creative community is very tight. And I did an event with um, Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick like a hundred years ago. Um, I'm trying to think exactly how many, maybe nine years ago, like, like a long time ago. And we just became really good friends. It's um, hard not to like fall in love with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I had done this event. It was like a storytelling event and it was me actually. And then Matt was another person on the lineup and my husband who long ago, frankly, 
like stopped coming to my events because I do them all the time. Right. And he gets to see that at home for free, probably more than he'd like. <laughs> he knows my, my bit. Right. Like, and, uh, I had agreed to do the storytelling event and, and suddenly my husband, Mark was like, I would like to come to that. And I was like, all, all right. Like, he was like, can you get me to like, can I come? To, I was like, sure. You know, I'll get you on the list. And, and he showed, you know, he, like he came and then, it was a, it was a fun event and there were like, you know, maybe five or six of us telling stories. And at the end of it, Mark, my husband said to me, I want you to introduce me to Matt Fraction. (laughs) (laughs) What? And he was like, Matt Fraction. And at this point, Matt had written Thor, like, and Mark, Mm -hmm. my, my husband is a total comic book geek and uh, like, you know, in the true, like, collector sense like i like to read comics he gets like, he collects the floppies and board them and, and border yeah. oh my and god mark was like yeah you must introduce me to matt fraction i was like seriously like is that why you're here and he was like yes introduce <laughs> me to matt fraction <laughs> yeah. like i just met backstage right and so like, switched. Right. <laughs> yeah and uh introduced yeah mark mark and matt and the two of them like an hour later um, Matt and Mark and Kelly Sue and I were still talking. And uh, after that, it was like we were hanging out a couple times a week and became couple friends. And the thing that happens when you uh, start hanging out with comic book people, maybe you know this, is that you hang out with all the comic book people. Well, once um, you have one, the rest of them kind of fall into place. My, yeah, my, my analogy is like feeding pigeons in the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Give a mouse a cookie kind out, of thing. They, yeah. all, they all hang out with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And they really like there's nothing comic book people like more than to talk about comic books. And we just found ourselves like getting sucked into this um, kind of friendship collective. Um, Brian Michael Bendis was doing these weekly dinners where he um, he was trying to feed all of the comic book people in Portland. <laughs> noble yeah mm-hmm. no and i like i think he might have had a little guilt about how successful he's been <laughs> <laughs> i've never even heard of the man <laughs> what are you talking about book feeds where they like they and they would have them at the house and uh and it would be catered like big buffets and what? it was wow. like 50 of like really the, you know like some of the most com- like famous comic book people in Portland and perhaps the world who would show up every, every week. And we somehow stumbled onto that guest list through Matt and Kelly Sue. And then just tell me more about the food. (laughs) (laughs) What would you eat? (laughs) What did all the industry only eat? Okay. It'd be different every week. (laughs) Order, order by Lisa. And it would be, um, you know, like maybe Mexican, right? Like it was like a wedding. It was like that Mm. kind of buffet. Huge, you know, like, 40 foot long table full of food. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to like, I'm, I swear I'm going to dream about this and I'm going to draw what it looks like, like the last supper, but with all the comic book. It'd <laughs> 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 be so hilarious. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Oh yeah. So like after doing that, like after being indoctrinated, you know, through a year of that, uh, where everybody talks about comics all of the time, I, um, like I was just thinking a lot about comics and I, I'm one of those people like to be completely honest, like I'm a, as I said, a comic book reader, right. Mm-hmm. An enthusiast mm-hmm. as opposed to a collector. So like I grew up reading comics, you know, and I read, you know, pretty, like pretty deeply into comics, right. As, as a, as a 
kid and teenager and then kind of like abandoned comics and frankly, like never felt comfortable in a comic book store. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so I would get them from like boys I knew, from cousins I knew, right? Like somebody would pass along, you know, 15 issues of X-Men or whatever. Um, and then I kind of fell out of it. And then I would read the comics that left the comic, the comic book kind of world, right? The kind of stuff that would um, get attention outside of that, like in college, just mm-hmm. reading like Neil Gaiman or like the mm-hmm. death of Superman or like just stuff that kind of like permeated mm-hmm. like outside of the comic book, like store world. Uh, and then, and then I really didn't come back to comics, like as a, like a regular, like reader, like having like a box in a comic book store until, um, until Bendis, until Alias, like that, that was the comic that brought me back, um, was Jessica Jones was Alias. Ugh, yeah. Um, which like, I remember like getting like the first issue of, and then just like getting it issue by issue. Uh, and I, and I, like, I loved, I loved that comic so much, you know, I was coming back into comics, like with all of these people who know so much more about comics than I ever, you know, did or will, or, you know, like ever thought I might. Um, so mostly I was just trying to like keep, keep up and pretend that I had some sense of all of the names that they were like throwing out that they all knew, of course. Um, and one of the things that I've always been really interested in with stories is how to tell uh, a story in different forms and mm-hmm. how, how to use those tools to um, find the shape of a story and how that shape changes depending on the form. So like I have, I have a lot of friends who are also musicians mm-hmm. and talking about like, you know, songwriting. And how like that is the story shape, and so like I, I was really paying attention to the um, to the construction of, of what they were doing, like all of these people talking about it. That's a big pivot from the things that you've worked on before. What was like the biggest difference between writing a comic and writing a novel? Yeah, everything. <laughs> um, in terms of the, the actual making of the thing, yeah. Uh, just the the pacing is completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I I found myself, um, whereas I have like, I think an intuitive sense of the, of the kind of narrative shape of a novel of 380 pages. When I was having to like work on those early issues of Mockingbird, like I would have to literally draw them out. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, Mm -hmm just to be able to like draw rectangles and kind of like, you know, people in them just to get a sense of the beats. Mm-hmm. The beats are completely different than yeah. in a novel. What um, about like the deadlines and getting things out for each issue? The deadline, like that was less of a change. Like I, I'm kind of used to like having those expectations. Um, but the, the beats and then the clap, the, kind of collaboration, which is what also drew me to it. Mm, um, working with the, the artist. Well, not just the artist, right? Like, uh, Oh, the creative, whole IP and the, the you know, a creative team is, you know, like there's the artist, there's the, I mean, there's the illustrator, there's the anchor, there's mm. the letterer, there's the colorist. Like there's so many different people who bring so much vision 
right. the work. And, and, you know, and it is like very much a, a collaboration. And one of the reasons that they call comic book writers, comic book creators and not writers mm-hmm. is because of that, because like everything gets put back, you know, like everything is, uh, filtered through the creator, at least in the projects I've worked on. And partially, I think that might be because Mockingbird like was such a, you know, it's like super, super minor in terms of like what Marvel was putting out. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, you guys do whatever. <laughs> Tell us when you're done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you have to do a ton of research before uh, working on it? Yeah, sure. Like I was from like, I pitched them on Mockingbird. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like I, uh, after having gone to dinner with the Bendises for like, you know, 38 weeks in a row, had this idea that I was going to write a Mockingbird story for Marvel. And my, my idea was like, I want to write a comic book from a, a woman's point of view. <laughs> I know. Wait, what? Illegal. I know. <laughs> from a woman's point of view, who is an existing character. In, in the MU and might have her own perspective on the canon. That was my idea. I know. Yeah. So, like, then I was like, well, like Sue Storm isn't available because of that whole like thing that, you know, the falling oh. out between the Fantastic Four and the MU. But I was like, I think, you know, like Bobby Moore's Mockingbird, that would be great, right? Because yeah. she is somebody who's like, when she's well-written historically, like, She's funny, like, you know, she's badass, she's cool, she's smart. Yeah. Mostly she has not been terribly well written because she's not the the point of view character of the book, right? She's serving somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. And she is this, yeah, batshit crazy backstory. And I was like, I think that she would have another perspective on that. You she's know? educated that and smart. Why wouldn't she? Yeah. Yes. Um, so I thought it was a great idea. And and I said to Brian. Michael Bendis. I was like, Brian, will you let Marvel know about the fact that I have decided that I'm going to write a Mockingbird story for them? Won't they be excited? Yeah, I really did. Honest to God. I love that. Brian said, like, I'm going to come over and we'll talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) He did. He came over and he sat in our living room across from me and he was like, so this is how comics work. <laughs> and it was like, generally, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just generally with comics. Work up to Marvel. It's like, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes some people who are interested in comics, they do, they do create our own, maybe, right? Like, and then, and then, a couple of years later, they're like, oh, maybe Marvel. And so and I was and I I was just like, I hear you, Brian. <laughs> and I, Your I thoughts are valid. Hate you. <laughs> and let me know what Marvel says about the Mockingbird comic. <laughs> that was and, you know, I remember the look on his face and like him looking at my husband being like, uh, you know, my husband being like, I don't know. And then like a week later, I still hadn't heard from him. And I sent him an email and was like, so like anything from Marvel yet about the Mockingbird comic? And like, I did that for like maybe a month. I just kept pestering him and being like, so like, I can't believe you haven't heard back. They must be so excited. They're probably so busy having meetings about it. That they they find the words. (laughs) Yeah. Find the time to call. (laughs) 
They're out celebrating. Finally, right. They were out celebrating. And then finally, yeah, I think I just wore him down. And um, and then he uh, mentioned it to Marvel. And, uh, and the next thing I knew, I got, um, yeah, I got an email from Marvel that was like from the, from the editor who, from the editor in chief. And it was like, it wasn't super exciting just to get an email with the like at marvel.com. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Like that was really fucking exciting for me. Um, and I opened it and it literally said, it was from Axel. And he said, um, he said, you like, great news. We've decided that like, we'd like to, you know, like we had this great idea. What if you were to write? A <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting. I'll consider it. <laughs> but, but then they, then the more like they, this is show, shows like how little I knew about comics. Um, they're like, yeah, we want you to do a one shot. And I was like, a one shot. So how many issues is that? (laughs) (laughs) Like one season or (laughs) they were like, no, it's right there in the name. Like literally, I remember that was the line. It's right there in the name. One shot. It will be one comic. And that was my first Mockingbird comic was um, for the 50th anniversary of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, so mm -hmm. I did this one off that was part of that. Uh, and then once I did that, they were like, oh, like, what would, what would you think about doing some kind of ongoing series? Nice. So step one to getting into comics, no Brian Michael Bendis. Get invited to dinner. Get yeah. invited to Get invited dinner. To yep. So no, be a person who eats. Be in Portland, Oregon. Uh, oh, be eat in Portland, Oregon. Food. Yeah, you're writing this down? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, we have to also be like really successful writers of novels no. to That's be invited to something. <laughs> what was that? I don't think that's necessary. It's not even necessary. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, just surprise Kelly Sue. Sure. There <laughs> and we say, go. And just see what happens. No, like, I want to I backstep from the surprise Kelly Sue thing. Oh, yeah. Don't ever <laughs> surprise. Yeah, that's not nice. I consider her a friend, and maybe maybe she doesn't consider me a friend after this. <laughs> no, after this. Not to surprise her. <laughs> Um, but like, the, the, I think the original question was, did I have to research it? And the answer is yes. Yes. So like, yes. I had this, you know, I, I knew Mockingbird, I think as most people is Hawkeye's ex-wife. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, then I had to like research her back issues. Um, it is weird how so much of her identity was kind of wrapped up in all these other things before your run. Well, like it makes sense because like she was always the secondary at best character. Like mm-hmm. serving, like she, you know, she'd be in, in issues of Hawkeye, right? Like, of course, mm-hmm. like she's serving that story. Um, it's why we need more representation to tell lots of other stories. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or we could always um, go backwards and do a second um, movie like Wonder Woman and make her whole identity attached to Steve Trevor <laughs> or, <laughs> after or she already struck out on her own. <laughs> or we could do that. Do some some front pedaling and some back pedaling. Yeah. I was really interested in how like there were there were people who um I have a lot of thoughts about canon as a concept mm-hmm. of the patriarchy. PS <laughs> <laughs> And this whole idea that like once something happens in comics, like it is canon and certainly like then there'll be some event and that might change the canon, but there's still canon. Mm -hmm. And I think that that uh, maybe neglects the idea that these are all stories like written by 
people with points of view in their particular moments in time and their particular life experience. And, uh, and I think it's important to challenge that. Like I, I really uh, like the idea of um, having characters and I like to read, read this as well as write it, having characters just have a different perspective on Canon because we, you know, we all experience events very differently. And when you only have a certain kind of male character historically, who's, who's served by events mm-hmm. in stories, I, I think it's really cool to like revisit some of those stories from the characters who, you know, who are like, so underserved by them originally. All right. Wait, I have other questions. I swear. Um, oh, do you want to get the, the next ones then? Oh, sure. Oh, nice. <laughs> You're wearing, you're wearing, I'm wearing the, the shirt. shirt. So you faced a lot of misogynistic backlash working on Mockingbird. And all we want to know is what is your feminist agenda? She's probably never been asked that before. <laughs> <laughs> my, my usual answer to that is you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, you know, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, honestly, it is really what... I think we just talked about, which is to just, you know, try to tell different stories. Um, There are are so many of them. Um, You know, like I understand why um, in comics specifically as a subculture, there is uh, some sensitivity among people who have felt like it is such a special safe place that is theirs. Mm -hmm. And maybe their only special safe place. And so when they feel crowded in that space, Right. They start mm-hmm. like, you know, like throwing elbows. Um, like, I totally understand that. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's not going to stop me. I think it's really important um, to uh, yeah, just challenge canon, whether it is comics or just whether it is life. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that was a very difficult um, experience. And. I will say like it's it started out with misogynist comments that I think are like frankly maybe par for the course for being a female creator in a way that I didn't understand like I was not prepared because with thrillers people don't feel the need to tell you if they don't like a thing Mm -hmm. they're just like I should not have bought that book there's no pictures (laughs) to accompany it so it they probably don't read it. <laughs> like there's much more a sense of ownership, right, of, of the material and um, uh, sensitivity, you know, in all kinds of ways. And there was a lot of those kind of like comments that I was like really surprised by um, in terms of challenging my right to write a book, to, to write a comic. You know, my right, well, your, your right to, to write it as a as a female. Like, what am I doing? you know, in the, you know, like writing comics, like why would I, you know, like, you know, Mockingbird doesn't deserve her own comic. Um, like I was literally told like by a couple different people, like that, like they would say like, clearly you have some kind of feminist agenda. And I was like, no shit. (laughs) I do. Why I put that on that t-shirt in the last issue. Like it was totally a response to that kind of trolling. It's just Mm -hmm. like, yes. I do have a feminist. I value myself (laughs) and other women. It's so so terrible. So much of what happened after that was like waves of responses that um, 
I don't know, maybe it didn't even have anything to do with the misogyny that started it. Like, I think a lot of people were angry when I, I left Twitter in response mm. um, to, to some of these misogynist comments. Then there was like a, a big wave of people who were just mad at me for leaving Twitter because they felt like that infringed on my First Amendment rights to shout at, shout at me. Um, wow. And once that happened, then there were, then it kind of got, it became a story. And then people were just kind of ye- like yelling at one another about, you know, like whether I should be there or not and about what other people had said or might not have said. And it kind of took on a life of its own. For um, sure. That right there is why you have a feminist agenda, just why people feel like they feel entitled to you as a woman um, to shout at you <laughs> like that, that you that you should owe them any kind of time or pay them any kind of lip services. Exactly. The kind of like non autonomy that we're, we're facing constantly. It is. You know, it's, it's like walking down the street, right, where somebody kind of shouts at you and you're supposed to sort of smile and like <laughs> keep walking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, that's <laughs> now that you explain it in that way, it, it makes per, it's actually kind of the perfect response to to people is literally just being like, OK, bye. Interesting take. <laughs> Won't be listening any further. <laughs> it's like it's like getting like a novel of a text and replying with K. All right. <laughs> cool story, bro. <laughs> Maybe you should be a writer. <laughs> um so, I mean, I guess I'll, uh, you know, kind of piggybacking off of Cynthia's question. Um, is there other ways that you deal with criticism um, or things that you've done to even like find your Zen or just come to terms? Like as someone who's also semi-public, I have a really hard time with uh, finding coping mechanisms with criticism and, and harassment. Have you found ways, I guess, just unplugging or, or what do you do? Yeah, like I've, I think I've gotten, well, one my settings are a lot better. <laughs> Do you filter out words? I, I don't. That's a good idea. Um, yeah. like I, 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 like, I have much more, like my privacy settings are, you know, like vast at this point. And I am much more um, secure about uh, muting people. I, uh, I have a lot of um, very private, like my, the socials I am on most are, are totally private. As, like the thing about comics, <laughs> no offense, you guys. <laughs> the thing about comics is that, like, my thrillers like sell thirty million copies, right? Like, mm-hmm. I get, you know, paid a million dollars a book. Like, it is like it is it is so much more of my world. Mm-hmm. Comics are this, t- you know, like something I do because I think it's important, and I really like comics, and I really mm-hmm. like the creative team I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, when I start seeing any kind of like, you know, just, you know, backlash or activity, um, on Twitter, it's like, it's like a hundred people who are mad at me Mm -hmm. and it feels so big because I think that the comic industry is so, um, you know, insular and, uh, and so interconnected. That um, when something happens, everybody knows about it, but it's still this very, very tiny group of people. And so I reminded myself of that. Um, And I also reminded myself that, you know, I go to comic conventions, which I've done, you know, 
for many, many, many years before I actually wrote a comic. Like I love conventions. <laughs> like I really do. Like I love them. Um, and you know, like when I, like, I still go to them as a civilian. But <laughs> <laughs> you're not on your fatigues. If I, if I, if I, if Comic I, fatigues. I was a soldier, like on duty. <laughs> and I had like a table, um, which I was like, I managed to like set up a table. And like, we always like employ teenagers to help us with the books. Cause I think that's really important just to employ 14 year old girls in comics. Mm. Um, and then I get to make them actually sit at the table while I'm walking around. <laughs> and, you know, but like we do events at cons and like, I have never once had anything negative happen at a con, like ever, you know, mm-hmm. like the people who actually like, and it's like 80,000 people, the people who show up at comic book conventions are God, like the best people in the whole world. And the thing that drew me, to this scene and to the industry because um, I just, I love the fact that you can walk into this convention hall full of people and it doesn't matter what you're into. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're into something. All right. Right. Like, right. Like you're, <laughs> Hello, yeah, friend. you're, yeah, you're <laughs> into Magnum PI, that's your thing. All right. Nice mustache. It is like you're into mustaches. Right. All right. Awesome. Welcome. There's no judgment. It's like it, you just all you have to you just have to be into something. It doesn't matter what it is, and you are completely accepted. And uh, and like I have done, you know, like you know, lots of panels and events and like signings and uh, I yeah, I have never met with anything but like the most kind of positive experience. So when we talk about like the kind of just the gloppy horribleness that occasionally happens. It is all like it's on Twitter. It is Twitter. just people who it's a those people. Those people don't show up at cons because they're not real fans. That, that's I think that's really true. Um, especially, I feel like all, all the negative people are on Twitter, and they're not necessarily people who actually buy anything or do anything half the time. Um, the only time I ever got weird about like crazy people online is when like QAnon got involved and I had like one physical interaction with somebody, but like, uh, like actually in the world. Yeah. I got followed it's in a parking lot. Physical <laughs> no, I, I got, I got followed in a parking lot. Thankfully my kids weren't with me because it's, it's, it's all because of we have like a clothing brand that got some internet fame or whatever that I run with my kids. Thankfully the kids weren't with me, but, um, but they, yeah, they were following me to my car and then I picked up the pace and I noticed that they were, I confirmed the fact that they were following me and all I had to do was turn around and like pump fake them, like psych them out. And they fell backwards and hit their head <laughs> and I got in my car. This is what a maniac I am. Cause I like death doesn't scare me at all. I was just like, I was like, better luck next time. <laughs> I drove off like a psychopath. <laughs> it was nothing. I guess the best way to, to greet crazy people is to be crazier. That is the most awesome story I've ever heard. <laughs> really. Um, but I think you're completely right. The majority of people online aren't going to do shit, don't have much going on. And when you're, when you do a lot of physical, when you do things in person, those are like the positive people who are excited to see you and to celebrate you and not the people that are, you know, have Cheeto dust on their fingers and they're typing way furiously on their PC <laughs> setup or, or, you know. It's one of the things I've really missed, like this last year, obviously, you know, when we haven't had any kind of that 
fan interaction, like actual real life, like mm. going to cons, going to signings. Like I, I realized how um, much that was just fed the project. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Because like just seeing, you know, like these eight year old girls to like, you know, old men, like all this like, range of people who were like, this is the best thing ever. Like, uh, there's nothing um, more that makes me want to like return to my pink attic and write another comic <laughs> book than that. <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of an isolating job in some ways, no? Like writing just because you do that solo, right? And then the conventions and the kind of things like that are what tether you with, unless you have like a community like you do with Bendis and Kelly Sue and everyone. But even like we have not you know, been able to see one another. Yeah. Because nobody can. So yeah, it is, it is isolating for sure. And and like, again, like one of the things that I like about comics is that there's at least the collaboration of the actual work itself. Uh, And I I really love, you know, like writing a script and then seeing what the artist does and finding those places where uh, there's something different happening. Mm-hmm. Right on the page than what I had imagined, and then uh, going through the initial wave of panic that is like that's not at all what I intended. <laughs> you not read the script, <laughs> and then like it's like you know, give me your pencil. And then ten seconds later, being like, okay, like that is so much better. Like looking mm. at the expression right on a face, and suddenly coming up with a line of dialogue that I never would have gotten to before. And, you know, it's so much better than what I had. Um, and I like, I feel like I do that with like every level of involvement, like letters. I had no idea how fucking important letterers are. Right. Just like in terms of placing, not only with the actual like making of the letters, but the placing of the, of the balloons and of the boxes and how like that can make or break like mm-hmm. the pacing and kind of meter of a story like that can land a joke or not. Yeah. And like capturing the emotion of what they're saying. And yeah. Um, I was going to ask you some more questions about Mockingbird mm-hmm. and about Mockingbird herself or Bobby. What are <laughs> some of your favorite things about her? I like how she is always the smartest person in the room. That was really important to me. And it was something that I had definitely like, grokked or garnered you know from my favorite kind of appearances of mockingbird mm-hmm. um and I, and I really wanted to like make that clear like she not only thinks she's the most important like her most like the smartest person in the room but she actually is the smartest person in the room which is not always true of female characters in the mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um i also really like the idea of exploring um eq as opposed to iq because smart and the MU is, is really defined as like the banners and the Starks, right? It's, it's a very kind of like traditionally like male centered smartness. Mm-hmm. And I wanted Bobby uh, to, to uh, be able to read people, I guess, to use some other kinds of um, skills in addition to just like knowing a whole lot of biology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked, uh, like I've always loved her relationship with Hawkeye and I really wanted to play with that and kind of, you know, like unpack it a little bit. The first issue of Mockingbird 
that I like when I turned in the script, it was it was Clint and Bobby. And, and then they were like, no, this is the 50th anniversary of S.H.I.E.L.D. And there's this TV show. Right. And Clint isn't on the TV show. It's Lance. Mm-hmm. Got to be Lance. And so, like, I really just changed his name <laughs> in the script. And then I made a joke of it. Like, she couldn't keep, like, Clint and Lance straight. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that part. Mm-hmm. And that's where that came from, was oh, just funny. them telling me, like, no, you've got to have Lance. And then I thought, like, all right, like, let's make, you know, let's make that funny. Which is kind of, like, that kind of joke or mistake is always reserved for men. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Like, I'm just struggling all these lovers. It's so hard to keep them apart. <laughs> but when Mockingbird was the, um, having, uh, like, you know, just like showing her kind of getting healthcare from like a shield, like HMO. Mm-hmm. Um, and having Tony Stark being like in the background in the waiting room, reading a, a brochure on chlamydia. <laughs> Which I just thought was so fucking funny. And like, I turned it in, like many things in Mockingbird. Like, I, I didn't even notice in. that. Yeah. I turned it in. <laughs> and, and like, waited, right? Like, certainly they're not going to let me get away with this. And they did have one piece of feedback, which is uh, like the original name of the brochure was like, so you've got chlamydia, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, maybe could we make it? Uh, so, you know, like, do you think you have chlamydia? Like, so there's a little bit. Of- <laughs> Let it not be a for sure thing. Oh my god! Oh no, it's gonorrhea. Oh, gonorrhea. That's right. It's not chlamydia. Gonorrhea. Yeah. I love, love, love your Mockingbird run. I'm not a big. Full disclosure, I'm not a big comic book person. Kirsten's the comic book person on this podcast. But when she said, Chelsea Kane said, yes, I was like, holy shit. I'm not a comic book person that I fucking know. <laughs> like, I'm so excited. Because I, I comics are for people who don't really read comics, honestly. <laughs> makes sense. Because I'm a huge fan. Like even as Maneaters was coming out, my friend owns a comic shop and he would always put the new one aside for me because he knew that I wanted it. Because I'm a huge fan. That's fantastic. That's a great compliment. And you don't really necessarily want to be a comic book person. <laughs> it's, it's a very annoying no. You're annoying, affair. but you're lovely. Come on. <laughs> I'm not annoying because of the comics. You're right. That's just okay. me. I think like I say that because I don't like, follow any of the like rules of comic books. And I don't mean that in a like, I don't say rules in a pejorative sense. Mm-hmm. I just don't even know them right i like i occasionally will learn them and i'll be like oh well that's interesting <laughs> um me you don't partake in the marvel method yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of uh you know mental asides there's a lot of um uh as opposed to like story storyboarding action like i i uh you know i like i don't use a lot of those those beats that um and I say this is again, like somebody who grew up reading comics, like I really love reading, mm. you know, like I understand how important they are to kind of storyboard a comic, but like the Marvel comics that I grew up reading are all written from um, this big point of view, right? The kind of like Stan Lee point of view, the kind of like, right where it's like, you're seeing it happen. That's what makes it canon is that it's not in anybody's point of view. Right. You're watching it happen 
And therefore you can go from like the Baxter building to space. Right. Like, mm-hmm. And I think by, by definition, like what I was interested in exploring was like going a really close point of view, which is something that we talk a lot about in fiction. And I think that people in comics don't talk about really almost at all. Um, where everything that we are seeing is, is from this character's point of view. We only know what she knows or think she knows, mm-hmm. period. There's no narrator, really, besides her. Right. Well, and it's also, it is by definition an unreliable narrator because she is the narrator. So everything we're seeing... And she's a um, woman. Everything, <laughs> everything we're seeing is uh, important to who she is. So... Uh, like a, a close point of view character is only going to describe the things in the room that she would notice, right? Another right. character moving through that same room is going to notice different things. As a, like a big voice character who's looking down is going to see the room, you know, like in this kind of like neutral big voice way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like it's just a whole different kind of challenge. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, it always lends itself to the form. Um, but it's the only thing I'm interested in dealing. It's and and I think I, it says a lot that because I like I said I'm annoying and I pester Sin about um, comic books all the time. But the time. for it to be appealing to her means that you did some sort of olive branch in your storytelling that I haven't been able to find another comic book. <laughs> yeah, <for> your <laughs> comics. She did not send them to me. She did not make me read them. It was completely on my own. <laughs> and that's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So whatever you're doing, please keep doing it. And if you have other things to recommend that I can try to convert her to my face. Have you read a Spy Island? I have no. no. Last comment we did for Dark Horse, and there's a um volume out. We just did like four issues. It's like a little limited series. But awesome. if you like Mockingbird, mm-hmm. you'll like Spy Island because it's really just like Mockingbird on an island in the Bermuda Triangle. This actually leads perfectly into my next question. Uh, and we already talked about Kelly Sue. Um, Bitch Planet is one of my favorite series. And Sin likes that too. Thank God. Because that would have been like friendship ending. <laughs> I think that's like, right. That would have been friendship ending. What was almost friendship ending was her telling me that she didn't like Lord of the Rings. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Like, in the, the movie? She did. What are you talking about? The movies, the movies. But you didn't read the books, did you? Everyone read the books in school. What are you talking about? Okay, thank God. Okay, but you like those? (laughs) Yeah, but those movies, man. What a snooze! What a snooze, man. (laughs) I've got to go. Yeah, right. (laughs) She's got to go. I understand completely. Um, But it leads into the okay. Well, which planet? I just been in the Hobbit. Uh, Yeah, those were those were not good. but I noticed the Bitch Planet poster and Man Eaters in mm-hmm. Mod's room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I also heard a rumor that you and Kelly Sue are going to try to bring Man Eaters to television. Is that still happening? Uh, we'll see. Like, yeah, we talk about it now and again. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, like, this is just like a fun fact. Um, that t-shirt that you're wearing, Sin, right? Mm-hmm. Which is from issue eight. Mm-hmm. A mockingbird. She's like standing there, and she's got the the t shirt. Like that was after like the book had been sunsetted, which is Marvel's like adorable euphemism for canceled. Mm. Um, so like I was like, let's do 
like a cover where Mockingbird is like in front of a sunset. Oh, <laughs> it's really wow. Just oh, wow. I love like, it. Even more now. <laughs> like, amuse ourselves. And I was like, well, put her in a t-shirt. And, and I wanted it to say non-compliant. Oh. So that was the concept and the original shirt. And I got Which is a bitch planet oh, reference yeah, for yeah, yeah, anyone right. who's a loser and hasn't read those and comics. And Kelly Sue, like, you know, like was like, all right, she was in. Because of course, you know, we needed to like obviously get her permission. And then it just didn't make it up. Like it made it through the, like the first layer of Marvel mm-hmm. approval. And then they were like, no, 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 no. And so ask me about my film. This gender was actually like the backup. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, to the non-compliant t-shirt. That's wild. Did you ever sell shirts of that? Me personally? No, I, I certainly have like six of them. <laughs> just, you just kind of... Believe just me, if there was an official it. shirt I would have found it and I probably wouldn't have made my own. <laughs> There's definitely not. Are those iron-on sin? Oh, yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, so it, it, you said that you talk about it once in a while, but it's nothing official of making it into a series? Yeah, like it is... I, like I'm never certain like how much I can talk about honestly about that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sure. like we've had you know many different kinds of meetings and that you know that it has been in various stages of development. Um and I will let you know when it starts filming. All right. Yay. And I won't show up and be and see if Ben this is around like, hey, I heard about these dinners. I want to write for Marvel. <laughs> I have no experience. Portland, just bring like, you know, a crock pot. Yeah, <laughs> I lived in Portland for two years. I know how it's done. Yeah, you're basically <laughs> in. Um, so I was wondering too, because there was obviously Man Eaters. Uh, for anyone who hasn't read it, is uh, about uh, girls or, or anyone who menstruates coming of age, and then um, there's like a, a science words, and they turn into like feral cats and attack, and so there's all this weird. The um, hormonal drinks and and uh, girls drink out of different fountains and the is it a butcher of a explanation of the book, but it's it's really fun and obviously uh, satirical in a lot of ways. But there obviously a lot of like cat and pussy imagery. Was any of that inspired by Pussy Hats or the Women's March? We had started. We'd actually like started it before that, but okay. God, where is a pussy hat? throughout so do you know that one of my friends founded the pussy hat project really oh my god yeah that's so cool it's been an interesting journey in my feminism um because i have a child who's uh trans and it really changed how i was uh kind of looking at my feminism and whether it was like intersectional or not in a lot of ways and i think the pussy hats i think it was done with the best intentions. And my friends, uh, my two friends that, that worked with uh, the Pussy Hat Project are women of color. And so it was never meant to be exclusive of women of color or people of color. It was never meant to be trans exclusive either, but it kind of uh, developed into that. And I think it's like something that's misread. And I almost see a parallel with uh, man eaters where uh, you the book is great and I have no criticisms of the book at all. And there is a trans character in it, which is amazing, but it seems like uh, on the left, you you might've gotten some criticism for being exclusionary when in fact, it, what you're talking about, you're making a parody of people being afraid of girls and women. Right. Yeah, no, I think that that's very true. And I, like, I will say that like the whole pussy hat thing is something like that I didn't understand until later right like i i read i've been educated 
<laughs> about, you know, how, the, how being a pussy hats, you know, are problematic. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. Um, I will say that my idea with at least the cat portion <laughs> of, um, you know, of that story was like looking at how cats and women often are described in many of the same terms culturally, mm-hmm. right? Where there is the, um, you know, the kind of kittenish, kind of sweet, cute, right? Little mm-hmm. cat. And then there's the kind of feral cat and the kind of like cat bite. Uh, right, right. Um, she has her claws out. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting how we use like for some, you know, some reason, you know, women are somehow um, often uh, described with a lot of the same descriptors that we use for cats. Uh, so I thought that would be like really interesting to explore. And I also, uh, I, have, I don't know if you guys have seen um, cat people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right, there's a couple of like great versions of it, like um, one from the forties and then the other from like 1981. And I said, <laughs> yeah, like I, like it is so weird and like weird, weirdly one wonderful, like really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like very much, it was just on like one summer on HBO all the time. Yes. I watched it a bunch. Yeah. Like it really sunk in. Uh, so when I was trying to think of like, what would be scary, what would be dangerous? Uh, like I thought of that, the whole idea of like the, the kind of wear Panther and that whole idea of transformation. And as you know, my daughter is 16. So she was like 12 when we first started like writing man eaters, trying to think about you know, like some kind of like metaphor for um, le- less you know, as you say, then the actual transformation and more like the perception of the transformation, the cultural kind of response to the transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I landed on. And really, like, ultimately, it was coming down to thinking about scary stories and um, how you just culturally, there is this tradition of manifesting our fears as monsters mm-hmm. and othering. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, like othering or like, you know, like it's it's zombies, you know, like which represent disease. Right. It's aliens, which represents, you know, immig- immigrants or like, yeah, the other um, or like, you know, like the Godzilla, you know, representing the kind of like fear of the atomic bomb. So I wanted to think, like, what would be scary? Like, what, what would be the scariest thing? What if, what is that kind of free floating anxiety? You already you already talked about your daughter and she was Maude's age. Um, when you were writing it as well in Manningers, was that a lot of your inspiration and just trying to like, like navigate that with your own daughter? Yeah. Like to me, uh, which was kind of one of the reasons, I guess why I, uh, you know, it took me a little while to understand um, the criticism that came from some people for that book. Cause to me, it was so specific (laughs) and personal. Right. So it was, it was about, yeah. Like, my experience and my daughter's and it was just like that story and Eliza, you know, like wrote a lot of it. And, uh, we had, you know, like three or four other, you know, young, young girls who wrote for it. Cause I thought that was really important. Like that they, they be represented. Cause you know, it's been a while since I was a 13 year old girl. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it It honestly is in a very similar vein. And not to compare you too much, but I figured you wouldn't be insulted. Um, and in the same vein as Bitch Planet, in a lot of ways, just and even superficial ways where you have like the fake ads in there, which I love, which should be in every comic book. There should be no real ads. What's money? <laughs> you know, who needs money? Who needs any kind of sponsorships or advertising? <laughs> but that part, and then also just like the theme of feminism, in general and um and you know making a satire and some funny and, and not so funny moments just kind of illustrating that um and so I, it's, it's it's curious i don't i guess i didn't really talk to kelly sue about any criticism that she got for bitch planet but i don't think that she um from what i understand had the same critiques that you did with man eaters and or at least from the left that i remember anyway <laughs> i guess i should ask her <laughs> but I guess when you're specifically talking about menstruation and whatever, that then you get into a whole other territory. Because Sin and I were even talking about how the movie, um, what was that movie about the witch? Love Witch? Yeah, the Love Witch. The Love Witch was under fire for possibly being transphobic because she it was harnessing her biological femininity or whatever. Which made no sense to me at all because that movie was complete satire and completely bonkers, bad shit, crazy. And it was supposed to be like, why are you trying to bring reality into it? (laughs) I think that's the hardest thing about comics or even just like movies like Love Witch, where it's like, it's so clearly satire. You can't take this. I mean, you could take it seriously as like a work, but not necessarily the contents unless you just don't understand satire which just seems to be what a lot of criticisms um, are. Like, I think people want very, you know, desperately in, in, in a heartfelt fashion to, uh, you know, be included and to feel reflected and to, uh, to love the work, you know, like, and I think, um, you know, whatever kind of backlash that we got, from man eaters, and I will say, like, we have a ton of trans fans. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's a ton of people who, uh, who you know, like, really love that comic book. But I will say, the feedback we got, which was mostly by people who had not read it, I think, came from a place of um, really just, you know, wanting to see themselves, you know, and like being excited about it, and then you know, hearing that it was, you know, like somehow not for them. Um, and uh, like, I, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for that. And, uh, you know, certainly you learned a lot from it. Um, but it is hard as a, as a creator of stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is hard to move forward and not feel like I can't to not second guess every single thing I write. Yeah. Because I have this fear that somehow somebody will get mad at me. Um, especially when I'm writing from my personal experience about a certain kind of, uh, like, and maybe there's an argument to be made that like, that's what representation is, you know, like, that we should all like be able to write our own experiences a little bit. But I also understand the idea that maybe we shouldn't be. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm still, I'm still sorting that out. It must've been strange to go from, 
I imagine most of the criticism surrounding Mockingbird was probably more on the right from a conservative side of things, or at least the opinions and more misogynistic and then the criticisms of man eaters. I'm sure you got more of those, the overspill of misogynists, but also like coming from the, your own side almost in some, was in some ways. Yeah. It was like incredibly devastating. I can't even tell you how devastating yeah. it was, especially because it was from um, like not anybody who knew me, like, you know, half of my daughter's friends are trans, you know, like we, we mm-hmm. live in East Portland, like a lot of, you know, like, um, in, in terms of anybody who knows me knows that I am not in any way transphobic. Like I might have blind spots, right. As a person in the world. Um, but, uh, I certainly had, had friends, uh, on Twitter, you know, like people who I felt like were my friends who I followed and who followed me and with whom I exchanged, you know, like people I thought were friends and, uh, and they were, you know, like it was really, really devastating to have some of those people. Um, I just assume the worst about me, I guess. Just there's nothing worse than to feel misunderstood when you feel like you've been clear about who you are. But let's, we, I, we talked enough about it. That's like a little, it's a rough subject, but I really um, appreciate hearing your perspective on it. And I know it's probably not the easiest to face or talk about, but. I've um, talked about it before. Nobody's ever taken the time to ask me. Wow. You, and hopefully it's okay that I did. <laughs> We're doing another um, arc of man eaters that oh wow is in july another five issues um and it's the same team right including the teenagers <laughs> oh wow um and you know like that was a really hard decision to like go back to it like image you know like suggested it like the book actually does quite well <laughs> um and you know like uh, and I came up with, you know, like it's, it's like three years later, like it's a different context. It's a different, um, you know, it's a different storyline, different stakes. So I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, it will be uh, problematic to the people who found it problematic, but who the fuck knows. Um, but I, I really wanted to go back to it and uh, I guess have a chance to tell that story. I, I guess, again, without um, some of the baggage. Um, but I will say, like, as you say, like talking with like working with your kids, like it, it makes it a lot more complicated. And, you know, Man Eaters was such a product of um, these like 13 year old girls that it was just, you know, really rough to um, I just attach this to them. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that like. Cause you know they all Google it, like they all like, yeah. right? like they're, they're kids. That was a big thing with my kids. I'm like, no one's getting phones for a very long time. <laughs> I do not want you to see any of this. But now they don't even follow our big pages, or or even they all have like little secret accounts. And like one of my my my, I have a daughter as well, and she literally I won't t- say her full name, but sneaky is in it because it's private she likes it that it's sneaky and she's like <laughs> undercover <laughs> how old are your kids i have three mm-hmm. um, my eldest riot um is 12 and then i have an eight-year-old daughter named ani and then i have a five-year-old son named teddy who's just a wreck a wreck but he's a white man we don't expect <laughs> much from him <laughs> 
He'll be fine. Sin has a, a kid as well. Oh, how old is your kid? He's turning seven in a few weeks. Oof, that's rough to say. <laughs> he's like an 80s bully, but like with a heart of gold. He like has a, he, he's like, I swear he walks around with a popped collar. Like he just came off the ski slopes. Like he's going to bully somebody. Like, I don't know where he came from. <laughs> But like my my eldest Riot is like his hero and he's yeah, the sweetest he and ugliest little guy. Yeah, he loves Riot. But I'm super excited. So it's it's coming out this summer or are you working on it this summer? No, it's out. It's like we're finishing <gasps> the third issue now. Oh my God. That's so exciting. I also like want to congratulate you on just the visuals because yes. Like each cover is just, I mean, I can see why it does well just from like a superficial perspective, like seeing a, a glitter tampon on the shelves, like we're going to gravitate towards that. Obviously. And of course I would buy every variant cover and I would, you know, <laughs> it was, it was so, we, super nerdy, super nerdy. About it. We found something that like you're even more nerdy than I am about. <laughs> That's something else. This is a yeah. landmark episode. <laughs> Yeah, we spent way too much time on every page. <laughs> I mean, it's just and you can so tell. great. You can absolutely tell. I feel like a, a little bit of Mockingbird influence in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the mom is a biologist, right? Or just works that has bi- biology background. She's like a big animal vet or like a, yeah, like she's got a biology degree, but for sure. And she's, you know, kind of got the blonde ponytail. Spy Island also. It's like... And frankly, all of my books, like I've written or published, like, I don't know, 16 books, something like that. Like there's, you can definitely see my issues. You can see my childhood issues. You can see the objects that reoccur throughout my life. It's all right there. Just putting it all out in the world. Well, I want to know how you got into making thrillers. Like, where did that come from? Like, how did you start writing uh, thrillers? I was pregnant with my daughter and, you know, pregnancy, hormones. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I, like I was somebody who always loved um, mysteries. Like I grew up like reading, right. Nancy Drew and then Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. And like, I always loved like the kind of like private investigator gumshoe kind of stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I got pregnant, I was like, I had this lust for blood and uh, <laughs> I yeah, came up with this idea for um, my first thriller, the R.T. Gretchen series. So the first one was Heartsick. And at the time I had another book due, which was the Nancy Drew parody. And so like I would work on Heartsick on the side, which somehow made it more attractive. Mm. Right. Cause it was mm. like this bossy thing that I was kind of seeing on the sly <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, like I finished that book and you know, I make it sound like it was easy. My, my first um, draft I sent to my agent and she had three notes and they were to make the main character more likable, to make the mystery better and sharpen <laughs> up the writing. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and, no, and I was totally like only three notes. <laughs> I'm so good at this. <laughs> Look on the bright side. Totally, totally. Like honest to God, it was just like with Bendis. I had these blinders where I'm just like, uh, and you know, <laughs> Marvel. Like your confidence, be I love. I want every 
female creator to have this kind of confidence. I love it so much. So aside from man eaters, are there any other projects that you're currently working on or uh, panels or cons or? Oh, it's fun. Yeah. Like I've, you know, various yeah, TV and publication projects. I have uh, Fate of Heart, which is my next thriller. Mm. Um, it's due imminently. I'm just like finishing it up in the next couple of weeks. So I have a series um, that are the Archie Sheridan Gretchen Lowell series. So like that's my main my main gig is uh, writing these thrillers. And then I have the Kick Lanigan series, which is another. Um, thriller series and yeah those are all in various kind of stages of entertainment development yeah the spy island volume just came out last month and working on yeah the third issue of man eaters it's called man eaters the cursed so that's the the second art that'll be out this summer so excited and i think after that i might be done with comics (laughs) (laughs) it seems like like just walking right into the lion's den are you active on any social media? So is there anywhere where, or like a Facebook page or something that people can follow and keep up with stuff? Sure. Yeah. Like I have, you know, a fan page on Facebook and I have um, Twitter, like uh, whether I think the Facebook fan page is probably the easiest one to follow. Okay. But in terms of Twitter, um, yeah. Like I think you can follow me on Twitter at this point. Okay. Nice. <laughs> specifically, I Kirsten. Like, like, settings stand and constrict depending on the particular week. But yeah, so follow Chelsea um, on Twitter, on Facebook at chelseakane.com. And we are so delighted that you came on. I had a, I had a nice time. I learned a lot. And I'm going to read some of your thrillers too. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. A huge thanks to our guest, Chelsea Kane. What a delight. Check out our website, mastersoftheobvious.com, for new episodes, news, and merch. Our Instagram, at Masters of the Obvious. Facebook, at Masters of the Obvious. And Twitter, at Masters of the O. And if you'd like to be a patron of our show, you can go to contribute mastersoftheobvious.com. And if you'd like, we'll even mention you on the show. But if you want to remain anonymous, we understand. We don't want to be associated with us either. Please don't forget to leave a glowing review on Apple Podcasts and to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on to get notifications for new episodes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Danka. Until next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And we love you like a lot. Who are these ladies? I don't know. Who gave this from the show? Masters of the Obvious. Ooh. Every Friday is Fierce Friday where the queers. Hey, you can't say that. That's not a lot of conviction behind that. Okay. She's like, maybe she is gay. <laughs> hey, you can't say that. I don't know. Oh. You cough your jeans. <laughs> <laughs>